0: informing america's farmers and ranchers it's adams on agriculture produced by the american ag radio network here's your host
1: mike adams
2: and hello everyone welcome to adams on agriculture thanks for joining us as we kick off a new week get ready to wrap up the month of october hope you had a good weekend it's gonna be a busy week ahead i'm headed to phoenix i'll be emceeing the national dairy industry meeting this week looking forward to seeing a lot of folks from the dairy industry there and we'll have a lot of information from that meeting later this week sabrina hill will be filling in for me tomorrow while i'm in in phoenix uh coming up on today's program we're going to talk weather with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson still some harvest to get done out there We're going to talk about the push for e15 with brian jennings ceo of the american coalition for ethanol and we're going to talk farm bill and trade and harvest with chuck connor president of the national council of farmer cooperatives coming up on today's program but right now we're going to kick it off with the editor and publisher of agripulse communications joining us now is sarah wyatt she's still pumped up from the national ffa convention right sarah
3: good morning mike yes indeed you know it is so difficult to be pessimistic about our industry when you are surrounded by 65,000 or so of the nation's best and brightest young people. It's just an exhilarating experience, and we had a great time there that, last week, uh, tapped off by an interview with President Trump, and then, of course, his address to the uh, convention on Saturday.
2: Well the energy level at a national FFA convention is already high. I mean you can it's just electricity usually in the air and then you bring in the president, that had to really amp it up even more.
3: Uh, it certainly did, although and as you know our, our hearts and prayers uh, go out to all those that were injured and and uh, lost their lives in Pittsburgh, and and that was really the start of the president's speech by calling for a moment of silence and bringing a pastor and a rabbi up on stage for prayers. So it was a very somber start to the meeting, but obviously the the, uh, students in attendance and their, their parents and advisors and industry leaders were very interested to see a president appear before the national FFA, we haven't had one since George Herbert Walker Bush in 91, and before that, Jimmy Carter. So it's been a long time since we have seen a president, and I, uh, I think I lost track of the number of times he said, I love the farmers and said great things about the industry and about the students who are in attendance. I, uh,
2: I find it interesting he claimed and continues to claim credit for what he calls a turnaround in the farm economy some would uh, look at the numbers and especially on their own farms and say i don't know about that turnaround Uh, how's that playing
3: well he obviously in talking about net farm income unless he was thinking about the money that's been pumped up through the uh, market facilitation programs it was not accurate because when you take those trade aid payments out net farm income has been headed downward and much of that has been driven by the trade agenda that he has spearheaded. Uh, and so, you know, you can look at the reality of the number and you know, look at what happened in the drop from record farm income in the, uh, you know, 2010, 2012 times when we had just skyrocketing commodity prices for many, many of our commodities. And you can say, well, you know, what time period is he looking at? Um, so uh, obviously, there are some that seem like he, he's got his numbers confused, uh, but he does like to take credit for things getting better from you know a, a drop prior to uh, when he was being elected and uh... so i think people look at that and they have the same reaction you do and that is where's is he getting this information but um we've got a nationwide poll coming out on wednesday and it's going to be interesting for me to see whether the same people that elected president trump and are sticking with him for the uh, almost everything i hear through these trade disputes uh, still feel that he is the one that they want to continue to lead in the future and uh, whether or not his brand is going to be helping or hurting some of the candidates in the midterm elections.
2: Yeah, that's going to be real interesting to see how all that turns out. Now, uh, I know he's uh, continuing to talk about the farm bill and what he wants to see in that farm bill.
3: Yes, he's. Uh, we asked him about work requirements in the the interview. If you want to watch the, the whole thing, we had about seven minutes with him. It's on our website. But um, he basically said he really would like to get the stricter work requirements for those people who receive food stamps or Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the SNAP Program uh, beneficiaries. But he he made a point that he doesn't have enough votes to really get it done. He needs 60 in the Senate. And he needs uh, a Republican majority in the House. So he made the case that if he didn't get more uh... in the election, that he may hold out, uh, and p- potentially even pushing a farm bill out into uh, a later time frame. But of course, if the Democrats win the House, that's going to change the political mass for him in a great w- number of ways. So uh getting one sooner rather than later would seem to be in his best interest. But, again, he's pointing to the need to wait and see what happens on November 6th.
2: And he continues to uh, kind of hold the line on China, doesn't
3: he? Yeah, he keeps saying we're going to win, we're going to win, you know, just stick with us. And, uh, again, I think it's going to be a test for those who say um, – gosh, what's taking so long? Uh, he said he needs more time. He told us that he would be talking to President Xi on the sidelines of the G-20, and he also talking to the Europeans. Uh, but, um, you know, people are, I think, willing to, to see how this is going to play out because they consider that, uh, you know, they weren't going to have TPP if uh, Bernie Sanders was elected or Hillary Clinton was elected. Uh, but still, uh, the president has some wins on the... NAFTA but it shouldn't be ratified yet it doesn't seem like that's going to happen until at least 2019 if ever and um, you know negotiations are starting with Japan to maybe get us back to where we were uh, with TPP the Trans-Pacific Partnership so uh, we've got a ways to go to really have some additional wins here that are going to be market movers I mean it's one thing to say we didn't do any harm with the uh, renegotiated NAFTA, but it's another thing to say that you've got some real demand moving here and in ways that are going to lift the market up where people can see some, uh, you know, some some good marks on the balance sheets.
2: Yeah, I'm headed to the National Dairy Meeting in Phoenix, and uh, I'll be interested to hear what the dairy producers are saying. They're looking for some wins, some improvements in their markets, that's for sure
3: yes and and certainly the administration you, know, you got uh under Secretary Ted McKinney going to South Africa. There's a lot of folks out beating the pavement trying to do everything they can to open up new markets and generate additional sales in existing markets uh but we again just uh we need to have some folks who are are able to uh, make sure that these new trade deals can get in place as soon as possible and and to give these consumers around the globe access to U.S. farm products that are well-known for their quality and their their safety.
2: Well, Sarah, thanks for being with us. Great coverage of the National FFA Convention. We encourage people to check out the the AgriPulse uh, interview with President Trump. uh, And uh, I know that uh, that's always uh, uh, a great honor. It shows great respect for the work that you and your staff do at AgriPulse that you, you got that interview. So congratulations and thanks for being with us.
3: Thank you,
2: Mike. My pleasure. All right, Sarah Wyant. She's editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. All right, coming up a little bit later on, we're going to talk uh, more about some trade issues and farm bill and harvest with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. We're also going to be talking today with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, about the push for E15 sales year-round. Meanwhile, we still got harvest to wrap up in many parts of the country. What's the weather going to be like? This week ahead, we're going to talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
4: When it comes to selecting your propane supplier, you have options, and switching to FS has never been easier. If you're looking to find a propane provider who is committed to providing you the professional, knowledgeable, and dependable service you deserve, be confident in choosing FS Propane. We offer flexible payment options that fit your needs so that you can focus on your family and not on your propane bill. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today and let us help make your house feel like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.
0: Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
1: A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem,
5: seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. right now. Some battles must be faced
1: together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day.
5: And you can be part of this battle too. Visit standuptocancer.org to learn more.
1: Together we can save lives.
6: information
0: america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams
2: well later this week we'll turn the calendar to november still harvesting uh, going on in parts of the country what kind of weather will we get this week let's check in with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson and bryce uh, for those uh, still with harvesting to do are they going to get much done this week
8: well i think there's going to be a pretty good chance for at least a couple days of uh, near general uh, activity and uh, and progress, Mike. Uh, and this goes along with how the weekend evolved uh, with a dry pattern and pretty mild conditions. So uh, here on Monday and then through uh, Tuesday all day, it's going to be uh, pretty good. And, you know, that's, uh, that's helping, uh, you know, kind of make up for lost time, obviously. Now, Starting Wednesday, things are going to get a little bit uh, more varied uh, because rain is going to show up, but mainly over the uh, southeastern and the eastern part of the Midwest. And I'm thinking here of the Ohio Valley and then through the eastern Great Lakes um, because uh, there's going to be a a pretty good uh, round of uh, colder air working in in the upper atmosphere, a trough uh, sliding uh, through the Midwest uh, over the last half of this week. But uh, it's going to... Uh, primarily uh, keep the uh, rainfall in play over areas that had a better start to harvest in the southern and eastern part of the uh, Midwest. And uh, the western Corn Belt should have just a few light showers and not really a, a whole lot of real uh, chronic uh, delaying uh, type rains. So we're not looking at uh, any moderate to heavy rainfall west of the Mississippi. And that, of course, is a big switch from the first part of October, and I think uh, you know, by the time it's all said and done, uh, there's going to be uh, some late-stage disruption. But prior to that, we've made a big dent uh, in you know, what needs to be done for harvest, and so uh, you know, the uh, the situation is not looking uh, nearly as stressful as it was with those heavy rains at the beginning of October that uh, we had to contend with.
2: What about temperatures? Kind of moderating heading into November?
8: Well, they're, they're going to be kind of variable, actually. Uh, the uh, the eastern belt could see some uh, chilly conditions and uh, the western belt is going to be pretty much near normal. In fact, over the next week, the uh, the forecast highs are pretty much, pretty much right around normal. And uh, even with a cold front, that is going to move through uh... it's not going to take temperatures uh... much below normal uh... actually in fact uh... prior to that prior to about the uh... thursday friday time frame uh... the uh, overnight lows are going to be uh... above to even well above normal so we're still not looking at a real uh... cold pattern uh... that's going to cover uh... the country and then uh, the, the time frame, you know, in the 10- to 15-day period is, is uh, pretty variable, actually, uh, with uh, several uh, upper air features kind of crossing the country on a, uh, on a you know, pretty good clip. So uh, nothing is really shaping up to uh, set in and bring us just a sustained round of colder air, at least through the first half of November.
2: It's been a very active hurricane season. All of a sudden, uh, you know, it kind of started slow, and then all of a sudden, just several. Uh, what do you see ahead as far as uh, major events like that? Are we? Uh, is that pattern continuing?
8: I think we've uh, kind of uh, gotten out of it uh, overall uh, here at the uh, latter stages of uh, the, the tropical season. There is a storm called uh, Oscar going on in the Atlantic and it's out by Bermuda right now but it doesn't look like uh, it's going to be making a track toward the mainland uh, during the next uh, uh, several days or anything like that um, the the uh, prospect is for Oscar to bring some uh, areas of uh, strong wave development uh, into the mid-atlantic coast but you know this uh, storm is not going to be making landfall or anything like that. It looks like it's going to be uh, really a very little uh, threat to most of North America, actually, over the next uh, five days or so.
2: Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, let's take our trip around the globe, uh, checking some of the major uh, producing areas, what kind of weather and maybe weather issues some of those places may be having.
8: The uh, the situation in... uh, in South America is still looking quite good Mike I am you know just kind of uh you know impressed every day by by how things uh have evolved in Brazil uh they just have more rain going on over the next uh, week or so uh the overall uh, the general uh, total on uh, precipitation is going to be uh, moderate to uh, locally heavy we're talking here about amounts of uh, 3 plus inches from Mato Grosso all the way south to Rio Grande do Sul and, you know, taking in just an immense amount of area. But uh, the, the impact, of course, is favorable. I mean, the soil moisture supply for their soybean crop is uh, quite generous. Uh, it looks like soybeans are going to be uh, possibly offered into the world market for export as early as uh, the first part of January in just a, a little bit of, uh, of case. So that's a... You know, certainly looking good in Brazil. Argentina has uh, several areas of rain in store for this week, so their planting has gotten off well. Now, it's a little bit different when we look at the wheat situation because Australia is just chronically dry, and we've talked about this before, but the uh, latest uh, reports now from the Australian Ag Board are that the month of September was record driest on record uh, in uh in a number of uh, wheat-growing areas. I mean, New South Wales in uh, southern Queensland was near record dry, but New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, and uh, a part of West Australia had a record dry month of September. And the wheat crop now in Australia is being dialed back to where it's uh, probably going to be no more than about 16.5 million metric tons. That's uh, far less than a year ago. And then in the Black Sea region, eastern Ukraine and Russia are still pretty dry here going into the end of October. So their new winter wheat crop isn't having that uh, that much moisture to work with right now in that part of the Black Sea region. Europe could get a little bit of uh, shower activity this week, but they really need it uh, because Europe had a very dry finish uh, to their uh, winter wheat season uh, back in the summertime so there is certainly some variability over in the eastern hemisphere the western hemisphere is uh, of course dominated by south america and they're looking uh, quite good right now
2: and that's going to be a story i mean we're sitting on a lot of soybeans and uh, things are looking good for their production i mean there going to be a lot of soybeans uh, in the uh, global marketplace
8: yes there will be and and uh, depending on how things go with uh, Brazil being able to take care of what could be uh, the, uh, you know, a lot of soybean business uh, coming up here the first part of the year, Uh, you know, that is going to be a a real uh, factor in uh, the the world soybean situation. The thing that that, uh, impresses me is that for so long we thought about uh, South America not really entering the soybean export arena until – february maybe at the earliest or or maybe late january but uh, the way things started out with soybean planting in brazil it looks like that's going to be moved up a good two weeks uh, when we get into early 2019
2: yeah that'll be a story to watch as we go into next year all right uh, let's wrap it up what's your winter forecast for us any big changes that you, what you've seen so far in that uh, long range model
8: we are still going with the idea, Mike, that uh, the influence of a weak El Nino is not going to be that pronounced. And uh, so with that in mind, uh, our thought is that winter is going to be actually a pretty cold one for the Midwest with uh, several rounds of snowfall to contend with. And this is a big departure from uh, the way the uh, NOAA Climate Prediction Center is looking at things. But uh, the, the forecast that, that we have uh, does have some support. Uh, both the European forecast model and the United Kingdom forecast model have uh, the prospects higher for a colder winter here in the central part of the U.S. Uh, than the uh, Climate Prediction Center model uh, model output does. And uh, a lot of that is predicated on how El Nino acts. And at this point, it's been a real reluctant uh, development uh, in the Pacific. Uh, so right now, you've got to think that uh, conditions are... Uh, quite possibly in play for a fairly cold winter over much of the central and the eastern part of the U.S.
2: and more snow,
8: more snow, and that would be a big feature because um, because uh, a lack of uh, an El Nino influence could lead to more snowfall here over the central part of the country. And along with that, uh, there's the uh, other impact, which would be that the uh, prospects for some uh, dryness easing over the southwestern part of the country are not quite as generous as they would be if El Nino were a little bit stronger feature. Uh, So there's uh, several angles that come to play here uh, with how the uh, winter pattern could evolve.
2: Yeah, we'll be watching that and keeping uh, close watch on El Nino. As always, thanks a lot, Bryce.
8: You're welcome, Mike. Good to talk to you.
2: Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, coming up next... The push for E15 sales year round. We'll talk with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
5: It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
0: Time now for a market check here on Atoms on Agriculture presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Grain and oil seed sector, a mix on this Monday. In the outside markets, U.S. stocks are jumping Monday morning as the market rapidly changes course once again. Stocks in Europe also turning sharply higher. China's currency has sunk to a 10-year low against the dollar. The currency's weakness, one of a series of elements fueling Washington's trade complaints against Beijing. Soybean futures bending one to two and a fraction lower an hour into Monday's trade. January soybeans now trading below the ten day twenty day and forty day moving averages that is a bearish short term trend signal. Beans for January testing eight fifty six and three quarters as support drifting just below it an hour into the day. Corn buyers supported the December market on last week's drop toward support at three sixty and a quarter. That level is holding firm so far on the trading week. In the wheat futures were a fraction to a penny higher in Chicago, same range in Kansas City, Minneapolis 1 to 2 cents higher. Egypt's General Authority for Supply Commodities included a 60,000 metric ton cargo of U.S. wheat in a tender late on Friday. Livestock at the Merck, live cattle futures trending in a mix on a Monday with October up 65, the back months 30 to 42 cents lower feeder cattle steady to 20 cents lower cash cattle activity last week on a live basis in the south mostly 114 to 115 generally 3 to 4 dollars higher than the prior week's weighted average the rally continues in lean hog futures 15 to 97 cents higher the dow up over 300 points you're listening to Adams on Agriculture presented by the American Ag Network I'm Rusty Halverson
6: Information America's
0: farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
2: All right, always a lot to talk about when it comes to our fuel. Let's talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us.
8: You bet. Thank you, Mike.
2: Um, And we've talked about this before. There's the excitement of the administration's announcement to start the process to get the E15 sales in the summer months but now there is concern about uh, are they going to move quickly enough on that to have it become a reality next summer. Tell us about your concerns on this.
9: Yeah, we're concerned about the timeline EPA has outlined that they they think they can follow to get this done, Mike. Um, EPA is suggesting that in February they would put out a proposed rule um, to provide e- e, uh, read vapor pressure relief for E15, they will have to take public comment. There will that will take 30 to 60 days. Um, they will uh, probably hold a hearing or two on this topic, and they believe they can wrap up the final rule um, by the end of May. So when June one rolls around and retailers are hitting that summer driving season and the the low RVP rules kick in, EPA thinks they'll have this all said and done. That's about four months, and EPA doesn't do anything in four months' time. Um, you know, the, the annual RFS volume obligations that EPA handles, I argue, are largely copy and paste because they've been doing this since 2010, and those generally take um, six months to complete. Other rules from EPA dealing with ethanol um, generally take more than a year. And so for EPA to suggest that they can wait until February to put this proposal out and they'll complete the process um, by the end of May simply flies in the face of of their track record. And so we're trying, um, and I don't know if we will succeed, but we're trying to get the administration to speed up this process there is simply no reason Mike why EPA cannot put out the proposed rule um, for RVP um, shortly after the election in the end of November or beginning of December and that time frame would be more in line with what they've done with the RFS rules and that that would be about a five to six month time frame
2: yeah I'm trying not to be cynical here but it, it almost seems like they're setting this up to fail as far as getting it ready by next summer?
9: You and me both, and I'm trying not to be cynical either, Mike, but we have a track record that we can look at. And, um, you know, it's not just dealing with ethanol or renewable fuels policy. Um, You you cover EPA when it comes to issues like waters of the United States and, and other topics, and the agency just takes a very long time to operate, and there are certain processes that must be followed. And what we don't want is the big splash that "Hey, E15 is going to happen," um, and, and then for some some you know bureaucrat within the bowels of the agency to slow walk this process. This is going to require political. Um, vigilance on the part of our champions in Congress. It's going to require political vigilance, frankly, on the part of the White House to make sure that this indeed gets done by the 2019 driving season.
2: Yeah, what we don't want is come June 1, we hear them say, well, we tried, we just couldn't get it done in time because, (laughs) I mean, as you say, they've got time if they start it sooner than what they're planning on right now. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, we also have some other issues here, and that is the push uh, to get EPA and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to recognize the benefits of ethanol-based, high-octane, low-carbon fuels.
9: Absolutely. You know, I I am sometimes critical of EPA, but this is an example of where EPA deserves a, a hearty pat on the back and a thank you Over the years, the agency has become more and more willing to look at the role that high ethanol blends, something in the range of 20, 25, maybe 30 percent, could play um, in in future uh, high-octane gasoline uh, to help these automakers comply with the um, regulations that are imposed upon them to, to not only keep improving the... Um, the fuel economy of the vehicles that they're making, of the engines that they put in these vehicles, I should say, but also to make sure that the greenhouse gas reductions are met, that the tailpipe um, emissions uh, keep going down. And um, EPA, this time around, they just completed a public comment period on Friday. And this time around, EPA actually, Mike, went so far as to say, we, wanted, we want you to tell us the benefits of, of ethanol as a high-octane fuel. How does this benefit consumers? How does this benefit the automakers? Tell us about E30 in a high-octane blend. And so they're getting very specific and asking very, I think, helpful questions. And this is a process as well, um, this Café Greenhouse Gas Standard process. And it will take some time for us to get from where we are today to where we want to be. But... They're looking at the 2021 to 2026 model year period in terms of vehicles, and so that's not too far off on the horizon, and we really feel like um, higher ethanol blends are well-positioned to, to be part of the solution to the, to that t- topic.
2: But shows, again, that these things take time, and that's why you can't cut it so close like uh, EPA is trying to do on the E15 for next summer. Brian, it, it is amazing to me and frustrating to me um, – that critics of ethanol continue to roll out the same old inaccurate uh arguments against ethanol and and even more frustrating is that some people actually listen to it or believe it and uh, we have seen an, that same wave of anti-ethanol rhetoric coming out from the critics again uh, especially on e-15 saying you know that uh one that this is a mandate which it's not saying that the a lot of vehicles can't use it, which, of course, they can. Uh, I mean, it's just the same old stuff we've heard over and over, and uh, I guess I figure they keep rolling it out there. The people, Some people will keep believing it, I guess.
9: Yeah, I'm afraid you're right about that. And it shows that the oil companies, that the refiners are legitimately um, threatened by the likelihood that at some point we are going to get the ability to to have retailers sell E15 year-round. And so they are absolutely ramping up their their campaign of misinformation. Um, And they'll throw everything at us. Uh, The the safety issues has been uh, front and center, um, suggesting that E15 will harm your car. Um, Every car, 90% of the cars on the road today uh, are approved for E15. Um, almost 80% of the cars on the road today have a warranty that uh, approves the use of E15 that would cover any damage from the use of E15. Um, we have retailers that are selling this fuel all around the country and they're not reporting any problems. People aren't coming back saying, I got stranded because I used this fuel in my vehicle. And we'll just have to continue to push back, Mike. And I think one of the ways we'll try to do that is to make sure that the retailers are part of the message, because those are the folks that are selling our fuel to um, American drivers, and they would know best if there was a problem with this fuel. And if there was a problem, they wouldn't sell it. And so um, I think in some of the response that that we'll be doing over the coming months, we'll make sure those retailers who are selling E-15 are are part of that, that messaging.
2: Brian, a big part of the excitement uh, for the E15 announcement was that hopefully that would send a signal to retailers to go ahead and make the commitment to uh, put, uh, have the infrastructure ready to go for E15 sales year-round. We know Casey's made a, an announcement that they're going to expand, but the uncertainty we've just talked about, about whether to be ready, the rule will be ready by next summer or not, is that, is that holding some back from going ahead and making that commitment?
9: It absolutely is continuing to hold some retailers back, some big, some small. Um, but the uncertainty regarding whether the federal government will finally once and for all say it's okay to sell this fuel twelve months out of the year is absolutely um, holding some retailers back. And so they are looking at this timeline as well, and you know if if EPA waits until June first or they're, they're late and they don't get this done until, say, July or August of of 2019, we're, we're going to lose yet another summer driving season because retailers, the, the folks that are standing on the sidelines aren't going to budge until this is a done deal. That's where they are, and so it's really important that we, that we speed up this process and get it done in time.
2: Well, I know you're... Uh... Holding the uh, the administration officials' feet to the fire on this uh, to try to get it done. I know you've talked with Secretary Purdue and others. Uh, hopefully, they'll listen, and uh, maybe we get EPA's attention to move this uh, up to this rule process
9: up. I feel really good about the meeting we had with Secretary Purdue on Friday, Mike. He uh, he's been our strongest champion in the administration, and um, you know when I had a chance to visit with him, he said he would relay my concerns to. The White House and that he would be talking with EPA. He didn't make any promises that that we could speed this up, but uh, I think he's a very effective um, advocate for us within the administration, and we're really grateful for, for what he's done um,
2: so far. All right. Always good to talk with you, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Mike. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for ethanol all right coming up next we're going to talk with the president of the National Council of farmer cooperatives Chuck Connor will join us we want to talk about uh, the farm bill we'll talk about trade we'll talk about the AG economy talk about harvest and storage a lot of things to get into with Chuck Connor coming up next again a reminder that uh, Sabrina Hill will be sitting in for me tomorrow I'll be in Phoenix for the National dairy industry meeting going on out there I'll have some information from that meeting. Later in the week. Stay with us, Chuck Connor coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
1: Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens
6: to your teeth? Power Swabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth, as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Paraswabs risk-free call 866 that's 866 i guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look try it risk-free today 866-504-0276 866-504-0276
5: information
0: america's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams on agriculture
2: now
4: back to mike adams
2: well we haven't talked with chuck connor president of the national council of farmer cooperatives in a while wanted to catch up chuck how are you
7: i'm doing well mike thanks for having me on again
2: harvest season uh, kind of dragging out uh, this year or what are you hearing around the country
7: well, um, we're hearing some, some pretty good news. I mean, there, there's certainly uh, been plenty of fall moisture in a lot of places, Mike, uh, that's extending this thing a little bit longer than normal, but, uh, and some wind uh, has, has come across uh, a lot of regions. But, uh, you know, overall there's some mighty good crops out there. The markets are reflecting that with their uh, bearishness, but uh, ultimately farmers are going to have a bin full of grain, and uh, that's, that's not a bad way to start the year.
2: Uh, some storage uh, issues in some places, too. You have to get a little creative in putting, uh, finding a place to put some of this crop.
7: Yeah, yeah I uh, I think we will probably see more beans uh, in temporary storage than we've probably uh, ever seen before. And, uh, you know, these piles of corn are getting pretty big out there, Mike.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the ag economy. Uh, we're still trying to get a farm bill done, and the president has been talking about that, and he's... Um, he certainly is going to push hard for the uh, stronger worker requirements uh, when it comes to the uh, SNAP program. Uh, how do you see this playing out? You're a veteran of, uh, of farm bills and uh, writing farm bills. Will they get this thing done when they get back after the elections?
7: Well, I sure hope so, Mike. They need to get this bill done. Um, you know, this is not the kind of farm economy with uh, income down by 50% where you want to just sort of let farmers twist in the wind out there a little bit while you, uh, you know, engage in uh, some bare-knuckle politics, you know, politics kinds of issues. So they, you know, they need to sit down. And they need to get, uh, you know, a compromise on this uh, work requirement uh, put together. Um, I was encouraged, uh, you know, the president was uh, out at the National FFA Convention in Indianapolis over the weekend. I thought his remarks, uh, you know, while, while certainly not, Changing direction on the work requirement uh, they stopped short of you know saying he would veto the farm bill over that so To me um, You know with all of my past farm bill experiences that tells me get everybody in a room and uh, You know let them hear from some farmers about how badly we need to get this thing wrapped up You know before farmers start to go in and plan their 2019 credit And let's get this thing done and, and I still believe that's a strong possibility between now and Christmas
2: yeah, I think there aren't many bipartisan issues, and we've certainly seen a lot of partisan uh, uh, bickering on this farm bill more than we've seen in farm bills past. But I think uh, there is a certain amount of pressure on both sides to get a bill done. But I just wonder if there's a change, say, in the House uh, with the elections, uh, will there then kind of – does that kind of drag it on longer as if the Democrats would want to wait till. Uh, they are uh, taking control, if that was the case, uh, start of next year. Do you think that could change the dynamic of getting it done?
7: Well, it could, Mike, and certainly history would tell you that, you know, if there's a change in either body that, that that's going to slow things down until after, uh, you know, the new people are seated next year. But I, I, I'm, I would argue and I think still push strongly that, that on this particular bill we don't have that luxury uh, to wait, Mike. Um, you know, if we if there's a, a changeover and and new people are inaugurated, I mean, remember they're not inaugurated into office until the middle or latter part of January of next year. You know, it takes a while just to you know get offices situated and all of that. And so, you know, at, at the earliest, if if we don't get this done by Christmas, you might be talking about March or April of next year to get the farm bill done. Farmers are going to be going to the field. You know, they will. Have, had many visits to their bankers, and, and, you know, as we all know, sitting across the table from your banker and saying, well, I don't know, you know, could be one, could be the other. I mean, that, that, doesn't, that works okay if farm income is at a record, but that doesn't work okay when farm income is down by 50%. Right. So they need, you know, to get this done and figure out a way, no matter what happens, you know, with the elections next week, uh, get this done by Christmas so that farmers can get out there and, and get planning for their 2019 crop.
2: Yeah, I do think there's pressure on both sides to get it done, no matter how the elections turn out. And, mm-hmm. of course, there's always always the possibility of an extension, but I don't think that's what people are really wanting. But meanwhile, you mentioned the ag economy. The president, even though he keeps talking about this turnaround in the farm economy, uh, we keep seeing the numbers that it continues to drop. Uh, the forecast in 2018, a 13 percent drop. And... Uh, you adjust for inflation, that could bring income levels to around 15-year lows. And obviously a lot of this has to do with trade, and that puts more and more pressure to get something done with China.
7: Yeah, indeed, Mike. I mean, China uh, continues to be uh, you know, frustrating out there from a trade perspective. We were pretty happy to see the USMCA come together. I think, uh, you know, to the president's credit, that's a a good agreement. Uh, It's a better agreement, frankly, than probably many of us would have uh, uh, believed that could have been negotiated. So, you know, our hats are off to the uh, president and his trade ambassador for getting that done. But ultimately, you know, we've just got to see some progress on China Um, The administration keeps telling us that we're going to have to show a little bit of patience, you know, that that China is a a big problem uh, and, uh, you know, things are just not going to get worked out here within a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks. You know, the problems are too big for that kind of thing. And I I generally think farmers, you know, want to give the president a little bit of latitude here, but at the same time, too, you know, when you're just coming off of massive record crops, whether that's soybeans, uh, corn, you know, even, uh, you know, specialty crops in California, like almonds, dairy, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, that, that's not a good time to be uh, putting a pause on any market development because, uh, you know, we're already facing very, very low prices for many of those commodities and farmers just can't sustain that for another year.
2: Yeah, it gets back to those uh, discussions with the lenders and bankers that you were talking about sooner. Need some some positive news to share with them uh, when those conversations take place. Chuck, thanks, as always, for being with us. Good to talk with you again.
7: All right, Mike. You take care.
2: All right. Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. With that, we're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Again, Sabrina Hill will be uh, filling in for me tomorrow. And uh, I'll be off to uh, Phoenix. I'm going to be emceeing the National Dairy Industry Meeting, have a chance to talk with a lot of dairy producers, dairy leaders at that meeting, get their perspective on the trade and farm bill and a lot of these issues we've been talking about. And I'll have uh, some information from that meeting later in the week, but hope you'll join Sabrina tomorrow. Thanks for joining me today right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.